Well, guys, welcome. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Kevin Heller. Uh, my wife, Betsy, and I have been going here since like early 2014. That's like longer than some of you guys have been alive. Um, and uh, we're, we're part of the, uh, we're apprentice leaders and with the Dempseys uh, in the Southside MC. Southside, that's right. We're, we're raising the roof this morning, apparently. Um, so yeah, uh, we have two little boys. They're downstairs, Theo and Gabe. You'll likely see them running around before service, after service, and just with a trail or a trail of donut crumbs uh, behind them uh, wherever they go. So uh, today is our fourth and final Sunday uh, of Advent. Um, Advent is celebrated, you know, in churches of Jesus Christ all across all across the world, right? Uh, it's just the four Sundays leading up uh, leading up to, to Christmas time. It's it's the um, the celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, in our first three Sundays, we discussed hope, love, and joy. And today, our final Advent lesson, we'll be discussing peace. Uh, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and just uh, have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for, for Christmas, for the, just the Christmas season, what it means, Lord. Thank you for, for giving us peace. Uh, thank you for providing uh, us a way back to you through your son, Lord. Um, I just pray that you'll use both Andrew and I. Uh, Lord, just speak through us. We, we need you, Lord. We need your help. Um, uh, and we're just so thankful for you, Lord. Uh, it's all in your son's name we do pray. Amen. All right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about peace, right? So what does peace mean to you? Um, oftentimes when people think of peace, they think of like a, a, you know, a calm, maybe tranquil area, right? Or, or just a, uh, maybe it's just silence, right? Maybe it's like the sunset on a beach or maybe you're out on the boat on like this mountain lake and th- these beautiful mountains all around you. Uh, if you're a parent of young children, Oftentimes, peace means that you look at the baby monitor and that little tiny human being that's been wreaking havoc all across your life is finally fast asleep, right? That's what peace means oftentimes in the Heller house. Uh, and I'm okay with that. That's great, right? We love our kids, but, you know, nap time, sleep time, that's, that's a good time, right? So there's another type of peace as well, right? It's just the absence of war or hostility. Um, think about the people in Ukraine right now, right? They... Peace probably means something different to them than what it means to us right now, right? They're, they're going through, you know, peace probably means that they're not fearing for their life every day. Um, we've had that, those times here in the United States as well, right? Think today is December 18th, 2022. What if we went back to December 18th, 1941? It was just 11 days or so after Pearl Harbor. And our young men were signing up in droves to go off to the European and Pacific theaters and for many, it was their last Christmas at home. Some of them, their last Christmas at home ever. For, for it, some of them for a while, some of them ever, right? And so there are different times of peace, right? There's, there's oftentimes, you know, it, it can be a thought or a feeling. It can also just be the absence of war. And with that in mind, with that last point in mind, uh, I want to kind of get to what we're going to cover uh, this morning, right? Uh, so Andrew and I are going to be covering two main sections, right? I'll be covering the first, which is peace with God. Uh, and the point here is that we cannot know true peace until we have peace with God. So let's talk a little bit about what the Bible says about Jesus and peace. If we look at uh, Luke 2.11 again there, which, which is our, our, the verse that um, Calvin was reading earlier to us. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So we see this word Savior, right? And, and I kind of want to point that out right now. Um, you know what many of the Jews thought the Messiah was going to be when, when, when he finally came? Uh, many of them thought he was going to be a political leader to deliver them from Roman rule. Some of them thought he was going to be a savior to deliver them from physical hardships or sickness. Uh, but that's not really what we see savior being, you know, meaning right here, right? And it's not to say that Jesus, 
you know, didn't heal people, right? The gospel is full of Jesus healing people and, and you know, giving, giving sight to the blind or, or letting the lame walk. Uh, but that's not kind of what the, the focus of, of, uh, of Savior is here. You may ask yourself, well, what do they need saving from, uh, right? Uh, or, or if you're not a Christ follower, if you're not, if you're not a Christian, you may ask yourself, if we apply this to ourselves, what do I need saving from, right? I've, I haven't really done anything bad. I mean, have, have you met my neighbor, that guy? Like, that guy's bad, right? Like, I, I really haven't done, really haven't done uh, uh, too many bad things. And many of us have, have, have had those thoughts, right, uh, in our lives at one point or another. Maybe we're thinking it right now. <clears throat> I think in order to fully understand what it means to have peace with God, I think we first must understand why that peace is necessary. The truth of the matter is this. We are a fallen sinful people, right? We can do good works. We can love on the poor. We can help the old lady across the street. We can pay our taxes on time. We can do all sorts of good things. But the fact of the matter is, is that at some point in our lives, and it's happened many times and will happen later today too, we have chosen our own will over God's will. We have done what we wanted to do and have sinned, right? And, and, and so um, uh, Romans 3.23 actually talks about this, right? Paul, Paul says, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The key words there, we all, right? You and I, we're, we're a part of that all. And it's not just us, right? If you look back at Bible history, it's full of sinful people doing bad things. If you look at Israel, uh, you know, the, uh, they get out of Egypt and like they're out of Egypt for like a second and they're just like, you know what? Maybe we need a golden cow to worship, right? Like they have magical food falling from, from, from the sky and yet they still oftentimes choose something over God. So we're not alone in that. Right? And so, so we're a part of that we all. And then we look at the end of that verse, right? For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, what does it mean we fell short of the glory of God? Is the glory of God the standard? That's a pretty high bar, right? The creator of the universe, we're supposed to be you know, with this glory of God. Well, what we mean there is that we fell short of what God intended humans to be, right? The glory that, that man had before the fall. Genesis 127 states, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, right? So if God is glorious and man was made in his image, that must mean that Adam and Eve, too, were, were perfect, right? They, they were without sin, right? They were out sin, without sin or blemish, just as God had intended them to be. But then what happened? What happened after that? Well, we all know Adam messed up, right? Uh, he didn't listen, right? There, he had like just, God told Adam to do a couple of things. He's like, hey, when you're down here, maybe take care of the garden, Maybe name the animals. Uh, also, don't eat off that tree, right? And like, it didn't take long for Adam to eat off that tree. Uh, it, it didn't take long for, for, for Adam to, to eventually break that one rule. And this made us, this made man in opposition of one of God's key characteristics. We're talking about just a real brief thing on, on God's characteristics. Uh, our three-year-old Gabriel is really into, both boys are really into dinosaurs, but our three-year-old Gabriel is really into like asking how big di certain dinosaurs are, right? He's like, Dad, how big is a Stegosaurus? Or like the other day, he was like, Dad, how, how big is a Diplodocus? And Diplodocuses are like some of those long neck ones. Like if, if you guys know Littlefoot from, uh, from uh, <laughs> Land Before Time, any, any Land Before Time fans out there? Yeah, look at, all, look at all the hands. It's a movement, Land Before Time. Um, and this may surprise you, but like I work at a bank. I, I'm not a paleontologist. My name isn't Ross Geller. I don't know the size of these things, right? I don't know the size of, of, of dinosaurs. So unless I look them up on my phone, uh, I, have to, I have to just respond with, well, pretty big, buddy, like, <laughs> right? They're, they're, these dinosaurs are pretty big. And uh, so, so Gabe, Gabe uh, just unprovoked the other day, he was just like, yeah, but God is the biggest. 
And first off, like, amen, right? God is the biggest. And secondly, he's right, right? And in, in, in this childlike wonder of, of characteristics of God, God is biggest and best and awesomest, and he's all these things, and he's perfect as well, right? And so sinning, Adam sinning causes a problem because God is perfect, right? And so at the time sin entered the world through Adam, humans were no longer perfect. They were no longer glorious. God, who is perfect, cannot be associated with that. And so now we have this huge chasm between man and God. And we have things like, and Genesis talks about that, right? We have things like, like pain and suffering and painful childbirth. And so, so ladies, the next time you're in the delivery room with your husband, don't blame him. No, no, this is on Adam and Eve, right? I'm sure you can, you can blame him. You can, you can blame him. It's his fault. But, but Adam and Eve, though, right? Like, this is, this is what, what, what entered. And then the big thing, right? What's the big thing that entered because of this? So it isn't just pain and suffering. It's death. Everything that had lifeblood in it before, Genesis talks about, did not die. Animals didn't die. Humans didn't die. But now, because sin has become part of the world, death exists. Because, as we know in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Again, Adam, you had one job, man. You had one job. So because of sin, peace between God and man had been severed, right? And so the absence of peace means that there is now hostility, this hostility I was talking about a little bit earlier. It's important for us to understand and accept this. We can't work our way back to God. There's no, there's no matter how perfect we are, no matter how many good works we do, no matter how many meals we take to those in need, no matter how many church or teams you sign up for here at church, and believe me, we'd love to have you sign up for a team at church, right? Uh, if you're not already signed up for one, it just, it doesn't matter. You cannot earn that bridge back to God over this immense chasm, this immense, immense canyon that is, that is sin. It simply can't be done. You've sinned. We all have. We're unworthy of his love. Now, you might be thinking to yourself right now, man, Kev, this is a pretty depressing sermon, <laughs> right? When, when can we get to something good? Can we, maybe we can get whacked to start now, right? Like, get the Christmas music going, right? Move over, Michael Bublé. There's a new king of Christmas music. His name is Wes Hampton. Right? And, and listen, it would be depressing if the story ended here. It would be depressing. There would be no Christmas. There would be no church. We wouldn't know each other. We wouldn't be able to come to whack. We wouldn't, there's a lot of things we wouldn't be able to do. But that's not where the story ends, is it? That's not where the, in, in, in Luke 2.10, right before our, the, the passage we, we talked about today, the angel says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for people. Or I'm sorry, great joy for all the people. Great joy for all the people. There it is, guys. It's not depressing. We're going we're gonna to get into something fun here, right? This is, this is cool. The Savior has been born. The Messiah has been born. Uh, Christ the Lord, right? So if we look at Romans 5.1, uh, and I'll read it to you so you don't have to flip there if you don't want to, but in Romans 5.1, we see Paul say the following. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there it is. How do we obtain peace with God? Paul says it's through faith in Jesus. So because Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, right? He came down in human form. That's a real thing. He became a human being and, and lived it perfectly, exactly how he was supposed to, to, to live. Jesus bought himself the ability to justify, right? And when we talk about justification, uh, you know, Andrew and, and Scott have talked about this. Justified means that we are made right with God. We have this we, we weren't okay with God. Now we have this okayness with God, right? We are, we are right with him again. And, and this isn't something that we earn ourselves. This is something that we are declared. This is this imputed righteousness. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that what we've done in the past uh, didn't happen. It just means that the payment for the, the bad things that we've done in the past 
and the things that we're going to do in the future has been paid, right? Um, it's righteousness that we didn't earn but was given to us. Furthermore, if we fast forward from Jesus' birth to him dying on the cross uh, after living this perfect life, right? We now have uh, Jesus put to death our enmity or, or our hostility with God. See, the cause of our hostility with God, the reason we had this severed relationship with the creator was the breaking of the commandments of the law. So before Jesus, we, uh, before Jesus, when man sinned, we had this big book of rules, right? This mosaic code, this behemoth uh, thing, right? And that stood as a reminder that, that when we sinned and we were going to sin, there's a lot of rules there. And even without that, we're like, we still sin, right? We, we, we still choose something over God all the time. That was a, a constant reminder that we are kind of in trouble with a holy God who can act in justice, right? And because we're a fallen people, it's, it's obvious we were going to mess up. And so it, it's almost like when you're a kid and um, you've, you may have done something wrong and you're just kind of waiting for people to find out about it, like, like oh, boy, is mom going to find out about it? Or, or, or worse, right? Like, oh, boy, is dad going to find out about it, right? Like, when will my sins catch up with me? But uh, through Jesus Christ, we, 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 we now have peace, right? But, so does this peace actually restore our relationship with God, or does it just may, mean that God is maybe a little bit less mad at us? Well, let's look at Ephesians 2, 17 through 19. Ephesians 2, 17 through 19 state, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. First off, the far off and near, right? Pre uh, he preached peace to those who were far off and preached to those who were near. That's just indicating Jews and Gentiles, right? And this is good news for us because most of us are not of Jewish lineage. This, this, this statement of peace, it's meant for us too. So that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, and so through Jesus, right, it also says, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, right? We have this bridge across the canyon that is sin. We now have access to the Father. So when Jesus died for our sins and the penalty was paid, uh, there was no longer cause for hostility. Through Jesus, we now have peace with God. We aren't strangers with God anymore. We aren't aliens of God anymore. No, we're members of the household of God. We're members of the household of God. Think about how cool that is. Think about the other members of the household of God. It's like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Ruth and David and Daniel and Peter and Paul and Andrew and, you know, everybody, right? Like, we're all, like, there's, I, I can only think of one person's name. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I had to remember every, like, all the heroes of the Bible. And then I, Andrew, Andrew just, just fit the mold. Andrew, thanks for being here, man. <clears throat> this is only possible with Jesus, right? It's always been about Jesus. Everything in the Bible leads up to Jesus, so the Bible's idea of peace with God isn't just a feeling that we have. Although feelings that you have are good, right? It isn't just, you know, this beautiful sunset or whatever, or I'm also going to steal Andrew's line from last week, right? It isn't just the ending of a Hallmark Christmas movie where the girl from the big city comes home and marries the, uh, or, or gets, gets with, the, <laughs> with, with the, the, the guy who runs the Christmas tree farm, and then they, ki they share a kiss under the, under the town gazebo. That's cool. Those things are cool, right? But that isn't the biblical idea of peace with God. No, the biblical idea of peace with God means freedom from condemnation under the law, right? Freedom from condemnation under the law. It's the absence of hostility with God. Think about it like this. It's the difference between Adam walking through the garden with God and Adam being barred from, from, from the garden with flaming angels at the gate. 
So as Andrew gets ready to come up, Christmas is a reminder that Christ, the Son of God, took on human form, lived a perfect, sinless life, then willingly died on the cross for our sins. He made that peace with God a possibility for us all. Let that, let our hearts be overwhelmed by this truth this Christmas season, right? Let us not go the next couple of weeks without thinking about this often. We have peace with God through Jesus, and that is just the best gift that we could ever receive. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. Praise the Lord for that. Um, uh, and yeah, I feel a little bit like the guy who had to get up and follow Chappelle, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know how you keep that going. Like, um, no, I mean, th- yeah, that's it right there. It's just exactly what he said. When, when we talk about this idea of, of peace, you can't get anywhere without first talking about the most important area of our lives where we require peace to be, which is our relationship with God. And as he so, so greatly showed us just now, like, if we don't have peace with God, then, then any other discussions of peace are, are faulty. They're going to be, they're going to be inerrant. Um, this is where it starts. This is our, our preeminent relationship. This is our preeminent, um, this is, this is the, the, the most important thing about us, right? It's our relationship to the one who made us. Where is our relationship? Is there peace or is there hostility? Because those are the only two options that the Bible gives us, right? As he shows us, like, that's it. You're either at peace with God through Christ or you are hostile to God and he is hostile toward you because of your sin. And this is deep. This is deep stuff that he's talking about here. And this is what we see at Christmas. This is what we see being declared in this text. In, cha- in Luke chapter 2, we see this declaration being made that, that unto us is born this day in the city of David, in Bethlehem, a Savior. A Savior who will come and bring peace from God to men and restore us, reconcile us back to Himself. And as we've been going through this series, as we've been, been looking at these different aspects, right, these different aspects of what it is that Christ gives to us as His people, this is why we, you know, if we look at our, our, our wonderful graphic that our, our friend Jess made for us, we have, we have presence on the graphic, right? Because the, the idea of giving one another a gift at Christmas is based upon this. It's based upon the idea that God gives us a gift. He gives us Christ, and Christ gives us righteousness, which makes us at peace with Him. But as we've been going through these things, I think, I know I have seen, and hopefully we've all seen, we've seen the ways that these ideas, these themes, right, hope, joy, love, and today, peace, hopefully these things are, are challenging us a little bit. Hopefully they're challenging the way that we think. Hopefully they're challenging the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about God. Even the story itself, even the story that we, even this picture of this, of this text in these three verses, Luke 2, 11 through 14, even this, this little small snapshot of this story it's challenging to us. It, it, it kind of goes against our sensibilities in ways. We see, this, we see this incredible picture that we've all heard a million times that Charlie Linus talked about on Charlie Brown, all of these things. Like, it, we can, we can kind of gloss over it, but we kind of maybe are losing sight of what's actually happening here. This, this incredible picture of this, this mixing of the, the supernatural, the divine, with the very lowly and the very ordinary. 
which is what we find in Christ. We find in this story. And it challenges us. It challenges our natural sensibilities. The king of the universe, this is what John, John 1 says, that this is the, the word. The word was God. And the word was with God. And that everything was made by him. And for him. And through him. And it's all going to him. This is, this is who we're talking about. The one by whom and for whom everything was made. The one who deserves, as Kevin said, to be worshipped and glorified by all of creation, but instead is hated and vilified by creation. The one who has everything and needs nothing. This Jesus, this God, he humbles himself. And he is sent by the Father, willingly, as a missionary, to make right what has gone wrong. And he is sent into the midst of the very ones, us, you and I, the people of the world, who have hated him and rebelled against him and turned from him and not given him the glory that he deserves and not worshipped him in the way that he deserves to be worshipped. We've, we've, we've chosen ourselves, we've chosen created things over the Creator. But he humbles himself. And in this scene, we see this incredible mixture, this mixing of heaven and of earth. Most powerful and glorious entity that has ever existed in the form of a little baby. A little helpless. Think about how helpless a baby is. It can't do anything. If you just lay it on the ground, it's just going to stay there can't get up, it can't walk, it can't help itself, it can't even roll to the, to the fridge, it can't do anything. <laughs> but this is, this is how Christ chose to come. He chose to humble himself. He chose to, as Tim Keller says, he chose to make himself crucifiable. That's incredible. Look at our text again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. This is an angel talking to shepherds out in the field, by the way. And this will be a sign for you, shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, can we just stop for a second and think about what's happening here? There's, a she there's shepherds out in this field in the middle of nowhere in Israel. An angel shows up to the shepherds. And obviously, anytime an angel shows up to somebody in the Bible, what's the first thing that they have to say to them? It's okay, don't be afraid. So, so there's something about angels that obviously seems to be terrifying. They show up to these, these shepherds in the middle of this field, watching over a bunch of sheep, and an angel says, hey guys, guess what? Unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, is, is the Savior. He's Christ the Lord. And they're like, sweet, that's great, that's awesome. And they're like, okay, you, sh you need to go see him. And they're like, okay, great, where is he? How do we get there? I'm like, all right. He's a baby, and he's wrapped in a blanket, and he's lying in a horse trough. That doesn't, to me, that doesn't seem like very good directions. Like, maybe there was only one 
manger in Bethlehem and they just knew like that's where he would be? I don't know. But to just say like he's wrapped up in a blanket and he's lying in a, in a manger. Like it doesn't seem like that'd be very helpful for them. But somehow they knew that that's where the baby would be. It made sense to the shepherds. But all of a sudden they said, okay, go see this baby. He's wrapped up in blankets and he's laying in a horse trough in a stable somewhere. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't even say other angels. It just says other hosts of heavenly beings, right? Show up all around them, and they start declaring this great truth into the world. They say, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. And it's kind of a crazy thing for angels to say to me. It seems like that's kind of a weird thing for them to say. The first one makes sense. Glory to God in the highest. Got it. That, that makes sense. That seems like something that angels would say. But to me, the second one seems like it kind of challenges what I would think that they, they could have said anything. But what do they say? Glory to God in what? And peace to men. Glory to God and peace to men. That's what, they, that's what they say. They could have said anything. Glory to God and peace to mankind. But they say that there's a condition to this peace. It's conditional peace. This is what Kevin was just talking about. It's not just peace for everybody in mankind. It's not just peace to all mankind everywhere all the time. That's not what they say. It says peace, and the condition is for those with whom God is pleased. That's who gets this peace that they're talking about. So God's going to get glory through this, and those with whom God is pleased will have peace. And if we remember, last week, we talked a little bit about this. We talked, or a few weeks ago, actually. A few weeks ago, we talked about this scene where Jesus is baptized. We talked about this scene where God, the Father, declares over Jesus at this scene that this is Jesus, this is my son. He's establishing his identity, saying, this is my son. And he says, in whom I am well pleased. I am pleased with Jesus. So this is my son, and I am pleased with him. God makes that declaration over him. And so when Jesus comes, Jesus' birth announcement declares him to be the Savior. He came to live and to die for sinners so that they could be reconciled back to God. So he came to give us peace with God, as Kevin just told us. And by giving us, by make, the way that we have peace with God is by becoming pleasing to him. And the only way that we can become pleasing to him is to be in Christ. That's where God has placed his pleasure on Christ. If we're not in Christ, we're not pleasing to him. So the father is pleased with the son. And when we are united with the son, God is pleased with us too. So when we are in Christ, we have peace with God. But there are two facets to this peace, as we talked about earlier. That's mentioned here. One is that we have to have peace with God. That's the preeminent step. If we don't have peace with God, the other one doesn't matter. But once we have peace with God, it is also possible for us to have peace from God. We have peace with God through Christ. The hostility goes away, and we are united and reconciled back to him. But now, even deeper than that, underneath all of that, and what flows out from that is this idea of having peace 
from God. There's, there's this other thing that happens, this other facet of this peace. Once we are reconciled back to him, he says, now I'm going to, I'm going to, have, I'm going to begin to grow in you peace, inner peace within yourself. It's a, it's a deeper level here that's happening. But the, the second one can't happen unless the first one happens. And that's the key to this whole piece. And we know this is true because Jesus talks about this in John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he's getting ready to, to, to go up into heaven, die, all that stuff. He's getting ready to leave them. And he says this, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus is talking about, yes, the peace that he's going to make for them through his death and his resurrection and the justification that he's going to provide. But he's also saying, I'm going to leave with you even after that, I'm going to leave you with you a peace, an inner peace, a peace that you can have. And he says that, that your hearts won't be troubled and your hearts won't be afraid. He knows that there's, there's this inner sense to us that has to be addressed, that the Holy Spirit that he's going to, to give, this is where he's talking about leaving the Holy Spirit with us. He said this Holy Spirit is going to come and you're going to have, because of that, an opportunity to have peace. Not just external peace with the Father, but internal peace within yourself an inner peace in your heart. That's a deeper thing. And see here, once again, we kind of have to have our, our notions challenged a little bit. And Kevin was talking about this a little bit, our, our ideas of peace, what we think of when we think of the word peace. Think of all kinds of things. I think oftentimes, in my own heart, and I think in many of our hearts, we think, when we think of peace, we think of the absence of something. We think of the absence of strife. We think of the absence of turmoil. The absence of noise, as Kevin was talking about, if you have kids. The we, right, we, we think peace means that, the, that something is taken away. That whatever the negative thing, whatever the turmoil, whatever is causing the turmoil, as, when that thing is taken away, that's what we think of, I think, oftentimes, when we think of what peace is. And so we think, if this strife, if this turmoil, if this noise were removed, then I would have peace. Then there would be peace. But biblically, we see here that peace is not just simply the absence of something. Peace, biblically, is the presence of something. It's the presence of something. Jesus never promises us the absence of trouble. Never. He never says your life will be easy and you should you should work really hard to make your life comfortable and easy because that's where you'll find peace. It's not what he tells us. In fact, he tells us the opposite, right? He says you're going to have trouble. John 16, verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world... You will have tribulation. That's what Jesus says. You're going, he promises us that. He says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart. Because I have overcome the world. 
Ah, so we're starting to see like this picture unfold for us now, right? So first, we're cut off from God. We're removed from him. We're removed from the source of peace. We're removed from the creator. We're removed from all the goodness that is found, right? This biblical picture of perfection, shalom, peace, right? Everything that's working right and functioning well and, and everything that's going as it should, as God intended, we're cut off because of our sin and we're removed from it. But Jesus unites us back and reconciles us to that. But it doesn't all happen at once in our hearts, right? It's something that has to, to be worked in. It's like the picture of a tree. This is why the Bible uses pictures, agricultural pictures all the time. Because it's something that develops. It's something that grows. It's something that is a fruit. It's a fruit of this. And Jesus tells us that. He doesn't promise that we won't have tribulation. In fact, he promises that we will. He doesn't separate peace from turmoil like we want him to. We want him to, we want him to just take away the turmoil. He promises tribulation, but in the midst of the tribulation, he promises peace. He's telling us that we can have the peace that we so desperately want. We can have it even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the strife, even in the midst of the noise. Because that peace is not dependent upon those things. It's dependent upon him. It's not the absence of something. It's the presence of something that provides the peace. So how does this peace make its way into our lives? How do, we, how do we begin to see this? Does God give us any help? Does he tell us anything? And maybe your minds are already sort of going there. And Philippians 4 is very explicit when it talks about this peace, this inner peace that God, through Christ, in the spirit in the, of his people, begins to work in and through our hearts, marinating it into our hearts so that we can produce this fruit. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Like, hold on, wait, what? Could we just stop for, there for a second? Like, don't be anxious about anything? There's probably some things that are worth, we should be anxious about, right? There, there are some things that are bigger than other things. Is that, no, he's saying, don't be anxious about anything. Now, hold, wait a second. What if things are going really badly? Then it's okay for me to be anxious, right? I should be anxious. I, I'm supposed to be anxious if things are going really bad. I'm saying, no, actually, don't be anxious about anything. But in, notice the sweeping language, but in everything, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, you mean just the really big things. No, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God so how does God begin to get this work of peace into our hearts so that it can so that it can manifest in us that it can actually show up where does it come from he's telling me not to be anxious but what do I do well we, we, we go to him Right? We, 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 don't, we don't run from the tribulation. We don't run from the, the stress. We don't run and hide and try to self-medicate. He's saying, no, no, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. 
bring to me your request. Make your requests known to me. Talk to me about it. Tell me what's going on. Bring me into it. Lean into me. Don't run away from me. Don't push back. Don't try to hide. Don't medicate. Don't just scroll. Don't just doom scroll your phone or Netflix. Or, all right, don't, don't run to the store. Don't get on Amazon. Don't go for a run. Like, some, those things aren't inherently sinful, but we, we can't run to those things hoping that we'll find the peace that we actually want. They're not going to provide what we actually want them to provide. They're good things in and of themselves for what they're supposed to do, some, most of them. Sometimes they're obviously sinful things. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with a, with a humble heart that's, that's thankful. Let our requests be known to him. And then the promise, right? And, verse 7, and the peace of God peace of God, that what we so desperately want, what we really are searching for, what we're hoping to find in the next post as we go. The peace of God, the peace of God, right? It's not talking about with God anymore. He's already assuming that in this text. He's already assuming that we have peace with God. He knows he's talking to people who have peace with God through Christ. He's talking about the peace of God that comes from him. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You can't medically explain it. You can't psychologically explain it. You can't scientifically explain it. It doesn't make sense. Right? It's, it's above our understanding. That kind of peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. It's all here, right? All that we're talking about. This peace, within the context of being at peace with God, we can know and have an experience, actually. Experience it. Peace from God. The peace of God that doesn't make sense. You can't draw an easy line and say, oh, well, that's why you have peace. The, the, the people watching you in your life, they, they see the turmoil of your life. They see the tribulation that you're going through. And they see the peace that you have, and they go, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can have peace. When this is happening, when you got this diagnosis, when this person died, when, when, when you're bankrupt, like how, I don't, that doesn't make sense. It passes the world's understanding. It's over and above it. It's transcendent, right? It's supernatural. This is what we're talking about. This is the God of the universe giving us his supernatural spirit, his peace that works in and through our hearts. See, in our flesh, we want peace that makes sense. That's why all of, the, all of these movies have the happy ending, because, oh, that makes sense, right? That, the ending of that movie makes sense to me. Sometimes. We, we want it to fit in our brain. We, we, want the, we want it to follow the natural story arc, right? And we want that to happen in our lives, right? I pray to God, He takes away the bad thing, and I'm happy again. But that's not what we see here. Jesus doesn't promise us that the bad thing will go away. The turmoil, the strife. He may take it. That may be part of his mercy to you and his grace. He does that all the time. But he doesn't promise us that. But he, what he does promise us, and it is a promise, is that he will give us peace 
in the midst of it. Peace from God. And it will guard our hearts and it will guard our minds in Christ Jesus. It will protect us. It's protecting us. God's peace protects us. It keeps us. It doesn't mean we don't pray for the turmoil to go away. It doesn't mean that we don't bring our requests to God. That's what he tells us to do. Bring those requests to him. Tell him what you think you want. Because it may or may not be what he wants for you. But he will give you his peace in the midst of trial and turmoil and noise. And this peace transcends our circumstances. It's over and above our circumstances. And it doesn't make sense to us. This is the peace that was declared by the angels. This is the peace that is purchased by Christ. And this is the peace that grows like fruit in our hearts through the Spirit of God in and through His people. It grows like fruit. And so, what does this guard us from? It says it will guard our hearts and our minds from what? Well, from the very things that we need peace for, right? The anxieties, the fears, the worries, despair, hopelessness. All of the things that creep in, all of the messages of the world that are speaking to you, the messages of this world are speaking those very things to you. You should be anxious. You should be afraid. You shouldn't be confident in yourself. You shouldn't have peace. You shouldn't, right? You should worry about not having enough money. This is every commercial that we see on TV. You should worry that you don't have the right insurance plan. You should worry that you don't have the right car with the right safety features on it. You should worry that your security system at home is not good enough. You should worry that you're not raising your kids right. You should, right, all, you, should, you should be afraid of these things. This is what the world is telling us. And we're bombarded with it, and we're, just, we're kind of numb to it at this point. But it's preaching to us. You should have anxiety. You should worry. You should be afraid. And if we're not taking those things and taking them captive and saying, God, here, Here's my requests. <laughs> here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm worried about. He'll give us what we need. He'll give us the peace. He'll, he'll be able to renew our minds, right? This is what Romans 12 is talking about. He, he renews our minds. He renews the way we think. He changes our thought patterns from anxiety to peace. From fear and worry peace and rest he gives us those things it's not the removal of our circumstances that keeps us from those things it's the presence of god it's the presence of his spirit it's the presence of his peace so let's continue let's do this family uh, during this during this week during this month you are going to feel you're going to feel this rubbing up against you. The world's messages of you should be worried. Makes sense that you're worried. You shouldn't like yourself. You shouldn't, right? You should, you should think very lowly of yourself. 
You should think very lowly of the person sitting next to you. You should be afraid of them. You should be skeptical of them all the time. You should, you should doubt everything that they say, especially the nice things about you. Right? All of these messages that we're constantly bombarded with. We need help to transform our minds. And so we can bring him our requests. We can bring him our anxieties. We can bring him our questions. We can bring him our doubts. There are questions and there are doubts in this room. There are questions in this room. There are doubts. There are those of us, many of us in this room, who are doubting, is God good? Is he even real? Does he exist? You're not alone. If you're thinking that, you're not alone. We can bring those to him. Our anxieties, our worries, our fears, our questions, our doubts. That's all in that requests pile. Bring them to him. And he may or may not immediately answer or grant your request in the way that you see fit. He might not remove your doubts right away. But he will give you peace. And he will give you trust if you ask him for it. He'll give you wisdom if you ask him for it. These things he's promised to give us. So let's, use, let's, let's go to him and receive what we cannot produce in and of ourselves. We cannot produce these things. You're not going to find them on TikTok. You're not going to find them at a self-help book. These things come from the Spirit of God. This is why Jesus says, the way that this happens is that you abide in me and I in you. That's where it comes from. So let's go to him with our requests. Make them known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you. We praise you for your word. We praise you for your good news. Praise you for the proclamation of peace over mankind, that we can have peace with you and we can have peace from you. And so we praise you for it and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.